Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block, hosted by Ed, Jody, and Steve, joined by several guests today and more or less regular co-hosts. As always, we will be up on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Rumble as a podcast shortly after the show, but anyone listening to the podcast is welcome to join us live and chime in if they have any great comments, questions, or debates. So with that being said, good afternoon, everybody. Good hey, afternoon. Everybody. Good afternoon. Hi, everyone. So I'm the only one wearing green? Oh. Looks that way. Yeah, you're also the only one parading, I guess. There's some green. Um, so among the many stories that I want to cover today, or at least mention, is the Washington Post admitted that it lied through its teeth. And now that they're saying, well, we lied through our teeth, but no harm, no foul. Sort of like I saw somebody today who said that anybody who complains the Houston Astros winning the World Series several years ago, we should be asterisked, they're full of it. So I'm not quite sure where people go to get their elections back. Second issue I'd like to hear comments on is, I just saw the headline that the military has declared its first war since the new presidency. And that would be the war on Tucker Carlson, which I think is a pretty interesting issue. And then the one I'm really upset about is the New Hampshire raid yesterday, which we can get to, and I'll uh, vent a little bit about that. So having said that, anybody, Ed, Jody, any? Well, I think we should also try and maybe talk a little about HR1, which, which was passed by the House this week. But Steve, you may want to also just introduce the, the new voices that are with us this week, just so that listeners know who's who's speaking. Well, we've Mike, who's been with us before, Ed, number two or number one, depending how we call it, has been with us before. And Dave is a activist from the Free State Project in New Hampshire. Close enough? Good enough. They could all say hello and let their voices be heard. All right, I guess I'll go or we first. Can just move on. Doesn't matter. What do you need okay. to know? Says it all there in my, uh, my byline, professional irritant. What's that? Where do you want to start? Um, if you want to comment on uh, the post or the war. I don't, can, we, can we start with the, um, the, the uh, one about the post lying? Because that is so disturbing. And when I looked, when I tried to get a little bit of, you know, backstory on it it looks like it was reported that this recording was released in january that proved that trump said these things which now they're saying is untrue so how did a recording in january prove it was true and a recording now proves it wasn't true this is what i got when i kind of looked into it closer well what bothers me is the the post lying about it is bothers me but what bothers me more is that the Georgia Secretary of uh, Secretary of State is complicit in this lie and is really the the fountainhead of this lie. That, but how that is this legal? I know we keep going back to this, but how how can they legally get away with this? They can't. But it's all fraud. Well, they did get away with it. No, I know. But is there no legal recourse? Is there not something we've? I, it, there's got to be some sort of legal recourse, otherwise really don't give me the free country nation of rule and law all of that is bs if well, legal this recourse, kind of thing can happen 
Legal recourse for who, Jody? Really? You got to ask that question? People were well, lied to, manipulated. Okay. Voters well, are lied to and manipulated. in this country and people are allowed to say what they want and, and they can even lie. It doesn't mean that, it, you know, if the, they do- the, No, they're not. But people <laughs> that high up in our government, people that high up in our government can just lie. Well, they're just they're allowed to lie. To, they're subject to impeachment. They're subject to subsequent elections. I mean, who's going to sue this them? This is why I've them? lost faith, because if people in that high of position of power can get away with just lying about something. But where is that... the Republican Party? That's the, the, the yeah. real question to me is, well, that's true where is too. the Republican Party demanding that Raffensperger resign? You, want, yeah. you, want, you don't need a lawsuit. You don't need a legal remedy. You need the Republican Party to have a spine and say this is not acceptable. And oh boy! Resigned. The Republican Party ah. is Cold cowering because they're going to get canceled and silenced and not win elections. They're part of the problem, right? Uh, I, I to the fact that there's a lot of uh, people in the GOP, the establishment, that hated Trump and wanted him out, and they were willing to do whatever it would take. I mean, I'm troubled by the fact that the president of the United States is on a phone call and somebody's just willy-nilly recording it. Um, but part of me also too, Mike. of uh, Harry Reid when he lied about Romney and said he got caught and said, well, you know what? It worked. And <laughs> that's the sense I get here, too. One of what the is the recourse? About... Is... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jenny. No, I just I'm just asking what's the recourse, because to me, it's insanity that can't continue that. It's just I don't know. Go ahead, Ed. One of the more interesting things about this uh, story was not that the Post ran with a lie, I mean, that's their business model, but that a number of other news organizations, CNN, uh, USA Today, said that they, quote, independently confirmed that President Trump said the things that he supposedly said and reprinted the story. And of course, um, I don't know what that means, uh, you know, independently made up, independently talked to the same two people or one person. And given that the person who was the source of the story lied to the journalists, um, one would think that that would uh, um, abrogate his uh, veil of confidentiality, right? I mean, why shouldn't a real journalists uh, out this person as the as the person who lied to them. I mean, that that's the real story, right? And and he said, well, I'm telling you this under, you know, veil of confidence, and that's fine. That's a perfectly acceptable journalistic thing to do. Um, but once you know that he lied to you, then that that abrogates that uh, confidence and they should print the next headline was, you know, such and such, Raffensperger or his aide or whatever, lied to the post. That should be the headline the next day. And the fact that they're not doing it means that they really probably knew it was a lie and uh, were acting accordingly. Um, Ed, my understanding is that they did out the person who lied. Okay, who was it? Because I didn't read that this morning. Okay, what I'm seeing here, five hours ago, Georgia Deputy Secretary of State outed as source of fake Trump quotes in Washington Post story. Comes from Bongino.com. Okay, good for him. So, okay, but I think what Jody is saying, and maybe I can say it less angrily than she can, although I appreciate her <laughs> anger, 
is there have to be consequences. So I get we have a free press, so there's nothing we can do about the press. Seemingly, the most we could do is impeach somebody. So what? Um, we can complain about the Republicans, but we're in really bad shape when elections can be tainted by out and outright lies. And possibly it goes a little bit back to without virtue, you can't have a free society. I mean, this is like- Well, really they relied on those quotes in the impeachment, right? The, faux, the, the fake right. second impeachment. And so um, I know that uh, most of the Republicans voted against impeachment because it was unconstitutional, not because they even cared about the the facts and the and the law, but should it have been not? Should Trump have been in office when they were voting on impeachment? I think most of the Republicans probably would have uh, voted against him um, on that basis alone, trying to pressure, uh, trying to put undue pressure on a uh, state official to uh, you know change the election. And, and I think that uh, they should, you know, the Republicans. And we should realize that the press lies and don't trust anything you read in the press. Or, or the press doesn't, or the Republicans don't care. And they've always known that the Washington Post, et cetera, lied. It's occurring to me that the Japanese do have a way of dealing with these things. Um, when people are publicly shamed, they have a way of taking care of those issues. And it's very sad that in this country, there's no such thing anymore as shame for doing such an unbelievable- Can I ask, has anybody actually heard? Heard what? Has, has anybody ever, has anybody actually heard the actual recording? Because I thought that they were saying back in January, the recording had been released and he said these horrible things. Has anybody heard the actual recording? Because if the recording was released in January and it's true, he said these things, you can hear it in this recording. How was it not outed in January that it was a lie? Not that it wasn't too late then, but. I haven't heard the recording. I don't know. That's a good question, Jody. Anybody um, else? This is, this is not the first lie that's been told <laughs> about Donald Trump and blasted no. all over the entire universe. I mean, remember calling you know, immigrants, racists, et cetera, et cetera. Now, obviously the people on the left don't care that the press lies. And I'm afraid that many people on the right don't really care that the press lies. And there's just not enough people to care to make a difference. Listen, many of us know that the New York Times is a filthy rag, not fit for bird cages. However, I cannot get friends of mine to stop reading that newspaper for the love of God. So who's gonna, I mean, Who's going to boycott the Washington Post because you know, of the story? But how can you blame the how can you blame the journalists without blaming the source that's that gave the journalists the lie in the first place? I mean, you can't complain. You, know, you being the Republicans, the Republicans can't complain about the Washington Post if they're not going to go after the person from the from the Secretary of State's office that that made this lie in the first place. So, what wasn't that journalist privy to that recording? I think that's Jody's point, isn't it? Yes, but you know, I just want to point out something really, really bizarre that I've been watching happen. And it is, do you remember the recording uh, where Trump was talking about, um, he turned and he asked one of his 
science professionals. Do you think we can do the um, chemical wash or whatever? Do you remember that? And the left and the media ran with, he told everyone to drink bleach. Do you remember that? Yeah, he oh, injects bleach. Yes, I found that recording because some my, somebody I know told me he said that. And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't heard the recording. So I found the actual recording. I went through it and I saw that. And I'm like, from an objective truth, he did not say that. And I was talking with people who believed he said that and saying, he never said that. Can you show me where he said that? And they couldn't, but they would not drop the well, fact that he said it. That's part they of the purpose were, of the lie, Jody. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but the bizarre thing is this: these weren't media people. These are just people who, from what I observe, um, have completely abandoned objective truths for the sake of soothing what they know is hatred in their heart, but they have to justify that hatred. And so they're willing to abandon objective truth to sort of soothe that hate that they have. And I find that so frightening and bizarre. And I have a feeling that even if we saw this tape, it will have the same fate. You may never, he may never have said it, but the fact that he said it in the beliefs of these people who could never prove it still won't go away. Yeah, it's the same as the Charlottesville lie, right? The both people on good sides lie. Uh, yeah. Um, it's it's identical to that. I mean, you could go to the tape as many times as you want to show that Trump said, uh, you know, there are good people on sides, but, you know, not the neo-Nazis and the, the white nationalists. I don't, I condemn them entirely. Um, but they don't, I, they don't care. No, they I don't, don't think rational evolved people abandon objective truths for the sake of soothing things like hatred. I think that is, I, I think that is a, uh, I don't know what the word is, but I don't think it's typical mental of disorder. humans. It's a mental Yes, disorder. thank you. It's not typical of humans. It's but typical is, of people who, I don't know, have abandoned it's, reality. It's interesting that- um, Part of the tribalism and, and everybody's in one side or the other, it's factions that we were wondering about. I consider myself a little bit tribal in that I have strong beliefs, but I'm not willing to abandon objective truths to either soothe me emotionally or protect my beliefs. Objective truths come first and objective truths are the foundation of my beliefs. And so it's that part where people are protecting their feelings and their beliefs and sacrificing objective truths that's the part I'm finding um, really um, far too ubiquitous. Well, then you really like the book. You really like the book by Jonathan Haidt um, called "The Righteous Mind," uh, because in that book he he takes a look at not what people ought to do, which is follow objective truth. We all agree with that. He took takes a look at what people actually do most of the time, and what they actually do is react emotionally and then rationalize their emotions. And this is what we see. Um, with this particular issue. Trump is a racist, Trump is a sexist, Trump is a bigot, Trump is anti-gay. Um, all of these, you can point to endless evidence that none of these are true, but that's the way they sort of react to him and then they rationalize everything, uh, the reality. And as Height points out in his book, which I think you would enjoy, um, 
this is sort of the way humans have acted and we've had to learn to be rational and sort of scientific and objective. And it's, it's, it's hard and a lot of people don't operate that way, you know? We seem to be going well, backwards on that. Well, maybe, is there a tiny positive in this that this is so unbelievably blatant a lie that we need to magnify that there's nothing that's believable anymore or is Jody kind of right and nobody will ever care anyway? Did, did we really need this story to, to tell us that? I mean, they lied about the Russia collusion for over four years. Where were we're focused. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to make that. that came after the election, but how many lies were told about Trump before the election that influenced people? I mean, the, people still, um, they believe he said it, COVID was a hoax. Another example where he was misquoted. That's not what he said. So well, this is nothing that yeah, I was going to say the same part thing. of the, an arm of the Democratic Party, and it's not going to change. Mike, I was, I was going to make the same point about the Mueller report completely exonerating Trump that he didn't do what they accuse him of doing with the Russia hoax. But I'd also say that Trump is not an innocent person either. I mean, you know, it's four or five years later, but I still remember him saying maybe Rafael Cruz was part of the, the Kennedy assassination. Trump played that game too. And you know what? He didn't understand that he was playing against people that were better at it than he was. He thinks he's better at everything than everyone. And he got burned. Well, you know, and I think that when something is discovered to be a lie, it has to make it into the minds of the American people. And that huge barrier that exists between the minds and the opinions of the American people and truth is really, 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 really big. So I don't even know that exposing it as a lie will work because the exposure isn't going to be allowed to happen. That's how the media protects the left, right? Well, we also, I don't think we can waste, you know, spend so much time and energy combating every single lie. I mean, we have to move forward and just, you know, keep our eyes on the prize and follow our own agenda. I mean, the left is lying. And, you know, you know, in this particular instance, you know, I've said it twice already. I'll say it again. We should be putting pressure on that secretary, that assistant secretary of state to resign. It should be completely non-negotiable. That person should not be allowed to be a Republican office holder. If he's an assistant, he's not elected, so he could just be fired. I don't know. Uh, if that's the case, then yes, he should be fired. And Raffensperger's office should be firing that person. Right. And then that person will get a very lucrative job on CNN or MSNBC. And the point is there will be no consequences negatively for an unbelievable blatant lie that may have had very big effects on the election. And I'm not saying Charlottesville didn't, and I'm not saying many other things didn't. I just think this was a horrifically uh, blatant example of this kind of thing. So let's move on to my second thing, because this produced a lot of good conversation and outrage, which I'm happy about. The war against Tucker. What do people think about that? I think it's a clear sign that our military is not preparing to fight the next war. Yeah, I mean, I called in primarily today to talk about this issue. Um, Kurt Schlichter, the uh, columnist and former Army colonel, pointed out on his podcast that the military engaging in this sort of political dispute is against the um, code of military justice. It's, that is, it's a crime, and that any military officer who engages in this sort of political bickering back and forth 
can be um, court-martialed for it and ought to be court-martialed. And in fact, he said that when he was a colonel, um, if any of his uh, soldiers did anything like this, he would have written them up immediately and uh, sent them to court-martial. So it's, uh, it's a break in the line that has kept the military um, apolitical. I mean, every military person like everybody else has political beliefs, but... Um, not just apolitical, but civilian control of the military. It should be subordinate. Yeah, well, I mean, they're not supposed to interfere in domestic politics in any way. So if, uh, if Tucker said the, something, um, you know, that the military is not behaving properly, then the military's response uh, to that is silence and should be silence. That's their, uh, and, and that's required by the Uniform Code of Military Justice. So um, this is a really serious, another example of law breaking by the left um, that it bodes really ill for the United States um, if the military is um, going to give up their apolitical character. And uh, this started under Obama, of course, but, um, and Trump, again, was completely ineffective in trying to root it out. But it has now accelerated under um, whoever is running the show in Washington these days. Now, for the sake of facts, this started with tweets, I believe, by the military against Tucker? Uh, well, it started with Tucker pointing out but, that uh, the military is more interested in die, diversion, diversity, inclusion, and equity, die, than they are in kill, right? That's, um, and uh, what this means is that, you know, we're, the United States is in really, really big trouble with regard to its military capabilities today. Right, and, and somebody, somebody tweeted at him from an official military account, correct? That's correct, yes. So just to quickly clarify, I don't think that was Tucker's point. He, he was talking about the fact that China was attempting um, to build more masculinity in their armed forces while we were feminizing ours. Um, I think there's some issues yeah. pertaining to even having maternity. Flight suits. Yeah. Maternity suits for women. So I, I, he, well, he wasn't against diversity, but it was more about our readiness and how some of those things are impacted. Well, that's, that's the, you know, that's the basic idea, right? I mean, I, you know, I, I'm going to say something that's going to be taken poorly by your audience, but the purpose of the military is to defend women and children from external invaders. And uh, the idea that you have pregnant women fighting is ridiculous. Um, I mean, in a, there are so scenarios. They don't really though. I mean, they're not really having pregnant women going into combat. I, <laughs> I mean, that's not really going to happen. That's just, that's not really going to happen. I don't think I they are, don't but know. even if they're not, the issue is the rhetoric and what the mindset of the military is. I mean, Ed was, Ed is right that they're, they're supposed to be out to kill. Right. And this is not preparing them to kill. This is preparing them to protect. Can you use that word? Because I don't no, want to think of my military as being out to kill. Because well, they do kill people and break things, as Rush Limbaugh yeah, exactly. reminded. That's the old Rush Limbaugh line. Yes. Well, and Jody, that's why we don't have any military in the United States. That's why they're not supposed to have any domestic role or function. They're supposed to be on foreign soil, and they are. Their job is to kill. Protect. Can we say protect? Because it sounds like. No. 
it's, like, it's not though. Their job is to kill. It's to kill enemies. I don't know, Jody. No, you're going to be like deputy assistant secretary of defense their, here in a moment. Their job is to protect, even if it comes at not killing. They're protecting. Like I, I don't like the way that sounds. Um, Ed Powell, I'm really, I'm really happy that you're saying what you're saying because my dad was military. Um, I am shocked that this yeah, mine was in the military. I am shocked that no one's been um, kicked out court-martialed we haven't heard boo as far as i know again as far as repercussions and this is not the washington post and a assistant secretary of state this is military and i'm trying to figure out how far up a chain this has gone because i believe the defense secretary is responsible for this and he should have offered to resign you know i can't use the military tweets so whoever did this was either told he can or somebody looked away this is and it kept going as far as I'm concerned. It wasn't just the one tweet. Yeah, I, I think the um, obviously there should be an investigation and then, you know, people should be fired. Um, but it, it sort of goes past that. I, there was a very interesting article a couple of years ago by uh, the ProPublica group, which is kind of left. But this is a very good journalistic account of what happened when the USS Fitzgerald, a destroyer, uh, collided with a, um, a cargo ship in the around in and around Japan um, in a very busy uh, night. And uh, one of the reasons why I think it's a good one is because they uh, they admit things against interest in there. And um, the you know the primary one was that the officer of the deck um, at the time of the crash was a woman, and after the crash, um, which actually hit the captain's cabin. So the captain was kind of trapped. Um, oh. uh, he should have been on deck. That's, so he got blamed. Of course, the captain always gets blamed. But she ended up sitting in a corner of the bridge sobbing while the primary, um, the chief of the boat, the senior enlisted man basically took charge and, and, uh, and tried to, you know, basically take command with the captain missing. And um, if, if your reaction to bad news, um, especially so, some of the stories I've read about the uh, Navy in World War II, which are unbelievable, if, if your reaction to having a bad day is um, sitting in the corner and crying, you do not deserve to be in the military. And the problem is that sort of thing should have been caught early, like in basic training, in, in um, officer training, because she was an officer. And um, that's why they put you so through such rigorous and awful harassment. You know, the, it's a harassment environment that they put you through in training. And uh, so that you can, you can understand that life is not fair and you, you, know, you, you have to deal with whatever life throws at you. And I think um, the double standards that they impose between men and women in the military nowadays in training and their grotesque double standards, both physical and mental, are um, really hurting uh, readiness when you put someone who is not tough. In, I'm not that there aren't tough women, there are plenty of tough women, but if you put someone who is not subject to the toughening up into a, a command position and they fail, then they're a puddle in the, in the corner. And that, that really hurt because they lost 10, 15 minutes in trying to uh, save the ship. So now, does anyone know who's the highest ranking person all the way up to the president who has commented on what happened and spoken against it? I am not aware. commented against it, except Tucker. I'm saying, so we haven't heard from the Defense Department saying this is absolutely intolerable 
and we're going to punish this, correct? Who, who, who would ask them? I'm sorry? Who, who would ask somebody that sort of question? I, I don't even need it to be asked. That should have come out right away, just like when any other soldier does something publicly that's outrageous. It or, used to be, I think, almost automatic. It well, you saw under the, the Trump, I'm sorry, Ed. When you saw say, under the Trump administration, the uh, army released uh, a poster at some base talking about, uh, you know, it was the iceberg poster with um, white, su white supremacy and the, the top of the iceberg was the overt signs of white supremacy, like, you know, um, ridiculing someone for the race or something. And then the bottom of the thing is, is all, uh, I could show you the, the graphic, but was all of the hidden things like, you know, being rational and productive and happy and, you know, thinking that the world should be colorblind and that sort of thing. And I thought immediately upon seeing that is like, uh, Trump should have fired, should, should have fired the person who put that poster out. Everyone in that organization approved of it his boss and his and his boss's boss just fired him immediately and if you do that four or five times which is after all what fdr ended up doing in the second world war i mean a bunch of times then you get then you finally get compliance from the military um but trump didn't do it he didn't do it and i you know he it's a shame now what if i might ask a question i mean how about peter Ducey or somebody else some other enterprising reporter asking Jen Psaki at, at one of the daily press briefings if this is acceptable. Are you saying that because it was just Pi Day, she should circle back to that? I think she should <laughs> circle back and circle forward to it. Um, is anybody following the Guam National Guardsman who uh, went to visit, was it Marjorie Taylor Greene in the Capitol? I'd be yeah, aware Green. of that story. That's unbelievable. I can't it's, even. What is going I don't on know here? this story. What's the story? Ed, go ahead and relate it. Um, Representative Green made a mistake the other day and said that Guam was not part of the United States or implied it or something like that. And so the um, House delegate from Guam um, brought a uh, Guam, Guamanian National Guardsman to Marjorie Taylor Green's office to, uh, I don't know, Scare stunt, intimidator, uh, humiliator, that sort of thing. <laughs> I don't even know what to say, you know, and again, to me, it's part and parcel in the sense of the Washington Post story of these are things that cannot happen. They're so outrageous and there's, they did happen and there's no consequence. And we don't even know if there could be a consequence. Something is uh, so afoul, so rotten. It's too bad Green didn't pick up the phone and call Lori Boebert to come protect her. <laughs> well, she should have called that, uh, <laughs> a Democratic representative who asked the admiral a few years ago in the Obama administration whether Guam was going, if we put more troops on Guam, would it tip over? Yes. That's absolutely right yeah. by the video. Those are actually the 20 troops that they evacuated from there to make sure it didn't happen, which is why they were in the Capitol. And, you know, and as citizens, so to speak, what do we do about this? I mean, do we write letters to an editor? Do we call a congressman? How can this just be overlooked like this? Well, I think part of it in terms of the media is the point that Ed made about this being a, a court martialable <laughs> offense. I, I doubt that most reporters, if any, even know it. I, I mean, as somebody that dealt with reporters and had seen, dealt with some of the old guard reporters in, in a, my previous gig, I could tell you that the old guard were much more savvy. The questions that they would hit me with were 
you know, um, much more intelligent. They, they research their subject matter. And I don't think we have many reporters like that today that are inquisitive enough to even ask those questions, let alone to pose them to the right people. With all due respect, Mike, you're not a good example because you're coming from the right and they ask you a different set of questions. Well, I mean, listen, I think in my experience, I could tell the seasoned reporters versus the the kind of <laughs> the younger reporters that we're getting today that I, there is a difference. I, I, I've I've experienced it. Barry Weiss's comment on her resignation letter was something on the order of the New York Times editorial desk has been taken over by 20-something millennial types or Gen Z types who are far left. And I think it's the youth um, and inexperience and, and uh, indoctrination of people who, you know, end up in positions of power at these news organizations. But I mean, is there anybody over 30 at BuzzFeed? You know, is there anybody or... or uh, Huffington Post is now bankrupt almost. And, and uh, you know, I don't think they employ anybody for more than about 15K a year. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just whatever random person comes out of college with a degree in journalism um, and can be gotten cheap. I don't think they're willing to pay any money because the whole news industry is collapsing. Well, I'm on the side with C, indoctrination. You don't even need the other ones. And we're more and more generations into journalism school just being indoctrination, just being social justice activists and never challenging the left and always challenging the right. So when they hear a story about a phone call or they hear something about the military dissing Tucker Carlson, they all of a sudden, they love the military. As somebody said a couple months ago, isn't it wonderful to see Pelosi celebrating the military? So it's just all incredibly one-sided. Yeah, listen, just a, another point in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of our armed forces and our national security. Uh, you know, I, I tend to think that, you know, woke, woke culture is infiltrating everything. It's no surprise, it's further infiltrating our military. I think really this dates back to, I wanna go back to um, Clinton during the 90s with gays in the military. And the bottom line is, I, I don't think, any of us are surprised that we're not as ready as we should be. Uh, it's just an unseriousness about everything. And it puts us at risk, serious risk, considering what China is up to. Agreed. There are elements in the military that still maintain standards, the special forces especially. And um, if we need to do a small operation that can be done with, you know, 20 or a couple hundred people, um, those are the best warriors in the history of the world. I mean, they would, they would beat Alexander, they would beat Caesar, they would beat Napoleon, even with armed with the weapons of the past. Um, but it is the rest of the military that is starting to atrophy and fail as readiness declines and the ability to work under extreme pressure declines. And I also think um, my understanding is that in order to advance very, very high in the military, you need to move sharply left. If you wanna make it to the top, you wanna make it to the Pentagon. And that's been going on for a long time. And like most things with Republicans and Democrats, when the Democrats are in power, they move the ball 50 yards. When the Republicans are in power, they either move it one yard or they move it back an inch or two. 
So the it always keeps going in that direction. Where they, where they get sacked. Where they get sacked. Yeah, <laughs> For a big sacked. loss. <laughs> yes, and they never move it all the way back. And now we've had, again, decades of the military moving in that generation. And if the leaders are in one direction, it's really hard for the people down the line to stay in another. Just look at National Guard troops being used in Washington, D.C., the way they're being used. The guy on the street, um, a relative of mine being among them, there's nothing they can do about it. That's their orders. They got to follow the orders. The people at the top have all moved left. I want to move on to the federal, though, right? I mean, the National Guard is all state level. But it's ordered once the governor gives it over or doesn't fight the president, it's federalized. Correct. It becomes federalized. But I mean, you're talking about the culture and these are the culture of the National Guard is going to be coming from the states and not from. I don't believe so. My understanding is the Guard is trained by DOD on DOD facilities through the DOD and there's zero difference between their training and their hierarchy. So that, that is my understanding relatively firsthand, unless somebody knows otherwise. I think it used to be- um, their, training is at, their training is at DOD facilities, but their officers are um, promoted in interior to the organization, essentially by the, uh, run by the governor and his you know, commandant. And by the way, if you, I believe that what happened was in wanting to stay in, in warning them to stay in Washington, the federal dude overruled the head of the National Guard and said they have to stay. So even if it's true, and, and I don't understand, you mean I wear general clothes when I'm working for the state and I wear lieutenant clothes when I'm working for the feds? How does that work? How is um, the national, there's the Guard and the Reserves. The, the Guard is run by the states and can be federalized and put under federal command. Um, in the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, they have done more and more training of the guard and they actually rotated guard units in theater to um, help out. And so um, they, there are a lot of guard troops with combat experience these days and uh, in Afghanistan, Iraq. Okay, um, but if you're, a, if you're a lieutenant in the guard, you're a lieutenant in the army. When under federal control, that's right. When under- Still a lieutenant. Yeah, exactly. And to make it up in the hierarchy in the military, you have to make it up in the military hierarchy. There's no two separate hierarchies. Well, I mean, if you're brigadier general in the Guard, you're brigadier general and called into federal service. Right. I mean, I have a friend who's a major in the National Guard. He's a major in the U.S. Army. So to get to advance to the top, let's say past lieutenant colonel, you have to play that game. Yes. I think what the should be done is basically fire everyone, you know. Do Stalin 1938 get rid of everybody? I don't. I don't everybody want to rail. I don't want to rail against Israel, but those who follow Israeli politics, it's the exact same thing that goes on in every Israeli election cycle. There's another general who comes out of nowhere, and he's very solid with the left media, and then he gets a lot of rah 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 and gets a big ticket and scores a lot of votes. And unfortunately, that seems to be the same thing that happens in America. I want to move to New Hampshire. Um, how many of you have read up on the story that I posted about the raid in New Hampshire yesterday? I took a look. I know at very little. So my understanding is, and some of these people that are involved in it, I know personally, and several of them Elliot knows personally. So New Hampshire, the live free or die state has a very strong libertarian, almost anarchist streak. Um, there are a lot of people who 
do it their way and don't really care about the government. Some of them are a little bit radical to my taste as well. But yesterday, the federal government, apparently they finally recovered from raiding Roger Stone's house. They appeared in mass in Keene, New Hampshire, which is one of the centers of where a lot of these libertarians are. And I believe there were several different departments of the federal government besides the FBI that were there. And they did one of their typical raids. They came with a bear cat, they broke windows, they took servers, they took a Bitcoin ATM, reportedly the first Bitcoin ATM in the country. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds good. Um, and they arrested, I believe, six people on all kinds of federal charges. The indictment is out there to be read. My understanding is that several of them have been released with the following terms of release. They can't connect to the internet without permission. Their guns have been removed. They can't obtain a passport and they have to submit to drug tests. Now, I got some guilty until, innocent until proven guilty issues with that as well. But my biggest fear with this indictment, not my biggest fear, my biggest fears, the feds, as far as I know, when they want to get somebody, they overcharge. And I believe the feds have a 95% conviction rate. And I believe the feds overcharge and plea bargain down. Um, witness Michael Flynn. And the feds have a way of saying either you confess to A, B, and C, or we will charge you straight through Z, lock you up for 100 million years, and then you end up confessing and doing a couple of years. My biggest fear is that this is a message arrest. And this is a message arrest because some of the people involved were not only big Bitcoin dealers, but they were also major free speech advocates with some pretty radical podcasts, unlike Liberty Block, which is mainstream. So well, those are my issues. That raises some interesting things, Steve, because Biden's only been president for about seven or eight weeks now. This investigation didn't start under Biden. It started under Trump. So and, and I read I read the stories and I read I read the indictment, actually. Uh, you had the I think the Postal Service, the IRS and the Treasury Department, maybe, or was I believe so. Yeah, that? something like that. Yeah. All investigating. So, I mean, if it was a met, you know, if it was a message, I don't know that it's necessarily a message from Biden or the or the the new leftist power structure that's taken over. Because this was all started under under Trump, um, I think it's related to your virtual currency com conversation. I don't think they like Bitcoin at all. Well, and remember, it says uh, in violation of federal anti money laundering laws and regulations, including those requiring money transmitting businesses to meet registration and reporting requirements. Exactly that's, the, that's the basic. And so, why send a SWAT team to arrest these guys? Why not just like send a cop and say, knock on the door and say, hey, you're under arrest, come down to the station. I, I, it was definitely like everything the feds do, um, uh, not for a real crime and, um, and way over the top. Well, it's funny because you, you were reading, I don't know if you were reading from the story or, I mean, the story copied from the indictment. That was from the indictment. I'm reading. The, and and that, that language from the indictment really made me take notice because it sounds like the registration requirements indicate that even Bitcoin is not nearly as secure and private as, as we've been led to believe. If they have to, if they have to register and file all this information with the, with the government, 
I, I my my initial reaction was Bitcoin is not nearly as private and secure as as we've been led to believe. Now I got to tell you, first of all, the story happened the week after we had a major discussion about alternate currencies, which makes it timely for our purposes. I am willing to stipulate that this is a very complicated case of which I don't have many factual details. I don't have many legal details. Whether Bitcoin and trading in Bitcoin and paying in Bitcoin itself is legal or not, well, I assume it has to be legal since Elon Musk very publicly bought a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin or something the other day. I also know that the people in New Hampshire are claiming, and again, I can't say if it's 100% factual, that New Hampshire has specifically said it is legal in New Hampshire, and therefore it shouldn't be the Fed's business, which would then bring up this whole 10th Amendment issue again. As far as what you're saying, Ed, the message part of it, um, I assume this is going on for a year. I assume it takes a very long time to get grand jury indictments, unless you're going after Flynn, of course. Um, so this has been in the works. I'm a little scared that it's not been blocked by the governor's office in New Hampshire. And the governor, there's no, the governor, what's the governor going to do to the U.S. attorney's office? Or um, So my understanding, because we've had this conversation before, is there something called prosecutorial discretion about which I have voiced my very strong dislike for? And what that means is somebody comes up and says, let's go after so-and-so. And somebody says, gee, that's a really big waste of resources. This isn't a really big crime. And I don't doubt for a moment that people have input into these decisions. And I don't doubt for a moment that if Andrew Cuomo would have said, you know, guys, if you really want to come to my party next week, it's probably not a good idea. You should touch this. And then the prosecutor says, this is prosecutorial discretion and drops the whole thing. I don't well, know that the feds make major raids in states. Well, I hear you on that. It's no input. And you know, like I said, it was at least three federal departments that were prosecuting and investigating this. And, you know, we've discussed this in the past. I think I, I think that the, the federal government has a real problem with encryption, has a real problem with with Bitcoin. And I think that there's a coordinated effort in the federal government to break the encryption and to give the government keys to the encryption, not just for for money, but for private messages. Um and I think that's really, that's the ominous thing to me in this. I mean, this scares me on a whole bunch of levels. A, we did have this long discussion last week and seemingly some of these alternate currencies are definitely legal for some things in some places. And by the way, this, these Bitcoin ATMs in New Hampshire are not exactly hidden. It's a very well-known thing that people up there pay for things with Bitcoin. So even if he did a lot worse things, which I don't know if he did or not, um, I agree with Ed, when you send these kind of teams in and you spend the whole day there with a whole bunch of, um, what do they drive? Not the Cherokees, the Suburbans, whatever it is, those black SUVs that they drive, you're sending a very strong message. And the message is, we're here, beware. And if it's against Bitcoin, I've said before, Bitcoin is apparently the least hidden of the cryptocurrencies. My understanding is there's about 50 more levels of cryptocurrencies that are harder to get a hold of. Some people are saying now that Bitcoin is hit, I think 60,000, that the government's ready to come in and either confiscate it all or do something to stop it. Now, obviously I have issues with the whole civil forfeiture part of this, and I have issues with conditions of release. So someone else complained to me, the whole innocent until proven guilty 
And my understanding is that bail respects that you're innocent until proven guilty. And correct me if I'm wrong, innocent until proven guilty means you are exactly as innocent as you were before you were arrested until proven guilty. When you were then released on conditions such as you cannot have access to the internet, how does that possibly jive with innocent until proven guilty? Well, I mean, in fairness to the government, I think that I don't think bail is bail does presume you innocent before until proven guilty, but it's not supposed to facilitate you from from fleeing the scene and avoiding trial either. And if you look at what they're accused of in this case, assuming it's true and assuming it's a crime, they can connect to the internet in order to get obtain their electronic digital mar, uh, money and flee. So I, I don't. I'm not so sure that that it's the wrong thing to to put restrictions on them. Now maybe so they should. We're clearly innocent until proven guilty is clearly not true. I, I disagree with that. I don't think no that because is bail is only there to stop you from fleeing, but you're still innocent if you could put. If you can put conditions that are as strong as parole conditions, and probably stronger in certain senses than parole conditions, then in what sense are you still innocent? How does this person flee, though? This person flees by trans by by transferring the ill-gotten gains into into money and and flying away. Okay, so I can live with passports being taken. I can live with that. I can even I got to tell you something. I could live more with an electronic bracelet which is directly related to fleeing than I can with restricting access to the internet That's and fair. criminalizing free speech. That's now, fair. I can't I argue think, with you on that. Oh, I'm sorry. And I think lawyers um, may be able to make peace with not being able to talk to co-defendants, but I, I got all kinds of free speech issues with that. Totally valid points on that. I agree with you. Okay. So, and this, this, this whole thing does scare me on a whole bunch of levels, like the Roger Stone thing. And again, the feds don't find it nearly as important to go against people like Hillary or Comey or some of the other Kleinsmith. They let him off pretty easy. I wonder if the guy in New Hampshire will get off as easy as Kleinsmith. Um, and the way the, the feds are going after the January 6th crew, I mean, they're apparently using every technology. They have the billboards up over the country. They're going after people with a vengeance. So it, it does scare me as somebody on the libertarian side of things that this can happen. I hope I'm totally wrong about this. I hope these guys committed horrible laundering crimes and I hope they were dealing in drugs, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody also brought up the fact, and again, it's a press complaint and I strongly believe in a free press, but going back to the Post article, one of the New Hampshire papers had to mention that these people were somehow tied to child pornography years ago of which they were totally cleared. And the obvious question then being, so why are you bringing that up? And again, it's a free press, but it's obvious why they're bringing it up because they wanna make it look like. One of the charges in there too, it says um, the indictment alleges that some defendants opened bank accounts in the names of purported religious entities. So somehow a cover or something is, am I reading that right? They're implying that they had like a fraud, a cover for what right. the money They, they own entities, which they call churches. That, that doesn't seem to be disputed whatsoever. Now, 
This may sound funny coming from who I am, but I have no idea what the definition of a church is. I don't know how many of you have ever read the IRS codes. I'm just reading it though that that was an avenue flow for their money. Not just that they open churches. So maybe I'm reading into that and that's not really what they're trying to say. I No, I think that is what they're trying to say. And I, again, I don't know the facts. So if I say I want to open up the church of worshiping gold, then I have to look at the IRS code and find out, is that fulfill the requirements of a church? Now, the I know the fact in the regulations don't define a church directly, but there are factors. Right, because they can't, because you do not have to believe in God to have a synagogue or church and be a clergy person. That's very clear. So exactly what a church means, I have no idea. So I don't know exactly what these guys did that was wrong. Again, I hope they did something horrifically wrong because then I think it's not a strong message to the rest of us regular folks. In the indictment, yeah. Well, it's a fake crime done by a corrupt organization intended to prop up uh, the government's fake money. So, I mean, it, the whole thing is fake and I'm sure the news reports are fake. So I, everything's fake about it. I, I have no sympathy for anyone involved in the prosecution. I have no sympathy for anyone involved in the, in the witch hunt against the people in the Capitol unless uh, at the Capitol on J January 6th, unless they've been shown to have done something uh, violent, like you know, hitting a policeman or, or something like that, which I absolutely don't condone. But if, if the policeman said, yeah, all right, come in, just don't touch anything, and they go in, um, which is what happened to hundreds of people, um, then they didn't do anything wrong. And they should- Let me ask you a question. Since Connecticut is a neighboring state, can we conclude from this that Durham has finished that report and that's how he had time to go into this one? Uh, the Durham report is fake too. Everything's fake. Fake, 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 fake. I don't fake, know. Fake. You mean you, you didn't get a copy of the Durham report yet? Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, and it, it's really, you know, like Ed said, you're making a great point. This started under a Republican administration with a, uh, a supposed Republican attorney general. Now, do you guys know how high up a chain federal investigations go? Like who approves them? How high does that go? From what I've read, it goes up to the deputy attorney general on almost all cases and to the attorney general in serious cases. Um, I have the, you know, I have the book of political appointees here somewhere on the computer, but I can't get it in time. But as far as I know, only the attorney general and the U.S. attorneys are political appointees. Everybody else is, uh, um, you know, civil service. So it's very hard to clean out the corrupt, um, the corruption from the Justice Department. The Department of Defense, which I'm much more familiar with, has political appointees very far down in the uh, organization. So you really can, if you need to change um, the non-uniform the, the non section of the military, you, you can really, um, you can do that very easily. And, in, and of course, every general officer is a political appointee too, so you can fire them without any problems. Um, but I don't think you can with the um, Department of Justice, as far as I can tell. Now, uh, is it safe to say that since this was a joint task force involved in the arrest yesterday, that it has to go very high up? Yeah. Um, the, yeah, absolutely. The 
the head of the Justice Department, whoever that is nowadays. Well, now it's Merrick Garland. Isn't it? Garland, right? Yes, Garland. Right, and before Garland, the last one was who? Um, what's his name? The semi-decent deep stater um, under Trump. Uh, oh, Barr. Barr, Bill Barr, and then there was. But this would have had to be approved by at least both of them at some point. Certainly, Bill Barr. Right. To get it off the ground, then I assume before it's actually executed, I would assume somebody signs off, if not the top. But to get the IRS there together with this, together with that, I assume it has to go pretty far up. One of the good things about uh, Hoover was that he understood that the FBI has to be popular. And so he picked <laughs> prosecutor discretion. He picked crimes that everybody hated, like bank robbery and, you know, eventually being a communist and very popular things. Um, I, I think the FBI has always been into that. It's like, what, what are the crimes that are popular that'll, that'll get us a lot of good press? And right now, the crimes are anything that seems bad to the wokesters. And um, Bitcoin is dangerous. And, uh, and you know, the, the people who ride in the Capitol, they're thought to be dangerous by the wokesters, you know, to quote unquote, our democracy. And uh, that's what we get. But people who make up the Russia hoax and people who sell secrets to China and all that, that's not that dangerous. Any other comments on this story? No, I mean, I think that we've kind of covered all the angles here, unless somebody else has something. Yeah, so we will continue to follow it. It'll be interesting as these people get released on bail, what they're going to be saying about what exactly happened. But, well, I guess the, the one question I will ask, does anybody disagree that the feds find it pretty easy to overcharge and force plea bargains? I'm not a criminal. Uh, you know, attorney, plea bargaining but, is yeah. ridiculous. There should no be no plea bargains at all. Um, the, the, it's it's completely unjust. Um, the idea that 98% uh, of all crimes end in a plea bargain is is a gross misrepresentation of justice, because people are pleading to crimes they did not pleading guilty to crimes they did not commit, in order to avoid prosecution of crimes they did commit. Now, of course, the overcharging thing means they probably didn't commit. You know, so it's it's all fake. It's fake, 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 fake. So I, yeah, everybody deserves a trial. Everybody should go to trial. There should only be enough laws so that we can actually have those trials like we did in the 19th century. Trials should be quick. I mean, a murder trial like O.J. Simpson murder trial. Guy stabs his wife and her boyfriend, and leaves. That's a a one week trial, maybe two. At the outside, it's a two week trial. At the at the absolute outside. My dad was a juror in a murder trial, took a week in a, a real, you know, a real murder trial where nobody was crazy. They actually um, voted for the woman to be not guilty, by the way. It was very interesting. My dad explained it all afterwards. But um, the idea that nine months for a, for a simple guy comes up, finds his wife with a guy, stabs them both, drives away, that takes nine months. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I mean, the whole judicial system is completely broken in these high profile cases. And I don't, I don't see 
any reason, I, I don't see any way to fix it other than eliminating 98% of the laws. Um, OJ was you know, guilty. Dad, that's where... <laughs> now, I was going to say, you know, that's where I lose hope because it's one thing that our media is corrupt and it's our education system is corrupting the mind of our young. And on some level, I feel like that is a challenge that could be, you know, influenced and fixed, but not a corrupt legal system that seems too much like that's where you just I feel like there's no hope it's a huge problem they also take advantage of the fact that and let's be honest here most criminals are idiots that's why they're criminals <laughs> and so they'll go in and and do all sorts of tricks against these ADIQ people um, saying well okay we'll let you go if you sign a um, uh, an apology letter to the victim. If you just, you know, write an apology letter, we'll let you go. And then they, they write this confession and then they say, they, they, so they lie. They lie all the time. The police lie to people. They, you over, they overuse force uh, against them like they did in New Hampshire and in the Roger Stone. Um, all the laws are, uh, you know, completely unobjective and, and uh, you know, these paperwork rules are ridiculous. It's you just know, all fake. Ed, that brings up an interesting point. I know it's, we're coming up on our time, but think of how we're brought up to trust our law enforcement. And we're brought up to say, yes, sir, yes, officer, and agree and comply and do as they say. And yet they're not trustworthy sometimes. And I'm not trying to say, I would, I, I wanna bring my kids up to say, yes, you know, yes, officer, no officer, comply with what they ask you to do, blah, blah, blah. But then you have stuff like this where they're also not trustworthy. How do you teach your kids both of those sides of that coin? Here in Fairfax County, we have 1,200 Fairfax County police officers. 600 are devoted to traffic enforcement. That is being fine givers to collect money for the county. The other 600 are, are in various, you know, criminal, real crimes. And, uh, and yet gangs and drugs are rampant in the high schools here, just rampant and i you know i was thinking the other day like you know if i wanted to do drugs how would i find it oh i'd find someone with a high school student and ask them right i mean how else would you find drugs? i have no idea how you find drugs but i mean in, in a suburban area right i mean you go to the late nearest high school that's where they have drugs and yet half our force is like oh well you were using the hov lane uh, one minute later than the hov posted sign so you have to pay 150 dollars screw them you know i mean defund the police i'm all on board defund them all abolish the fbi abolish the atf defund the police get rid of them all um, build it up from scratch i'm sorry to be so radical here but i, I have no confidence in it at all <laughs> that's okay you're allowed to share thoughts no matter what, right? Jody, I would just say that in teaching your kids, you got to teach them that the police are not your friend. They may not be your enemy, but they're not your friend. And you can't treat them like, like they're on your side. They have no duty to help you. They have no duty to do anything positive for you. And in fact, as Ed was alluding to, lying to people is, is part of their training. Lying to you to try and trick you into, into admitting things is part of what they're trained to do. So... The best policy is to say as little as possible and 
try and get away from them as quickly as you can. There's a great video on YouTube called Don't Talk to the Cops. Just look it up. I think I've seen it. Or it's brilliant. I, it's yeah, a, it's I, I've a law seen professor it, here in Virginia. It's brilliant. This is an interesting conversation because it brings up sort of two sides of the coin where I can almost sympathize or understand with some of what Black people say about what goes on in their communities. With I was going to say. And being harassed and things like that. And, and I, I could see that happening. I, I don't believe there's an epidemic of cops shooting unarmed Blacks and all that. A lot of the stuff that's motivated the riots and things like that. Um, but I certainly can see them being harassed at times. And I, I've heard stories of drugs being planted on people. So God only knows what might go on. And that kind of runs counter to what Ed, you were saying about the, being overcharged and having plea bargains. Uh, I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong about that, but when I, when I hear about criminal justice reform, that element of it concerns me that there are plea, bar plea bargains down. And then after that, we're making it also easier to get out of jail <laughs> based on the crime that you actually were convicted of. So there's two sides to this. If you will, uh, you know, I, I, there was another great video last have elements summer. of truth, truth to them, I would say. There's another great video last summer by a very smart former inmate. Again, most criminals are idiots, so it's hard to get anything out of them. But this was a really smart guy. And he was a former inmate for whatever reason. And he gave this video and he talked about how the police and the correctional officers treat everyone just terribly. They, they routinely uh, violate you. Um, they routinely uh, hurt you, um, sneer at you, humiliate you. It's all the time. And uh, I, I can find the video. I, I'll send it to you if you're interested. It's a very articulate guy. And he said, if you are this humiliated by a police officer and you're, and you're black and he's, he's white, uh, I can totally see why people think uh, this is racially motivated. He said, it isn't. They treat everybody horribly, but he can completely understand that when a correctional officer or a police officer abuses a, a black person, innocent or guilty, because you know most of them are guilty, but innocent or guilty, just the, the humiliation and abuse, physical, mental torture, kind of that sort of thing. Um, he can totally understand why they think it's racism because they've been told this is all racism. So therefore they think it's racism. He's, his point was, it's not though. They're horrible to everyone. But, well, okay. Um, is this an example of toxic masculinity? Is this cops being too manly? And do we need women in there to feminize it? Well, it's toxic governmentality. <laughs> I just, I'm not sure that the lady that, cops are that much different. It's interesting. I just wanted to do some trigger words. <laughs> I think it's the uniform, and I think yeah. you give a uniform to someone, it gets to their head, and it's very hard not to. It, and it's it, very it, sad for me. I think I'm the oldest person here, which is pretty scary, but I grew up, yes, officer, no officer. I grew up very specifically raised. So when you're in trouble, the police officer is your friend. We waved to them. We shook their hands respectfully. We invited them in for coffee. Yep. And I think in my lifetime, there's been an unbelievable too. change. I think part of it is the overcriminalizing of everything that yeah. in the olden days, not every single thing you did was a crime and therefore you didn't have to fear the policeman that much. And the over-militarization, the libertarian writer Radley Balco, who, you know, he's all right, but his, his 
his shtick is to talk about the over-militarization of the police. When you give them tanks and machine guns and body armor and, and uh, black uh, suits with night vision goggles, they, they get to think they're Rambo instead of you know, a, a peace officer. Um, and uh, that just shows through in the way they treat people like in this New Hampshire case. So maybe there are elements of the police have legitimately ch changed. It's, you know, it was appropriate, more appropriate when we were younger growing up to have that sort of, um, the police are your friend and they are there to help. They are for the people to serve and maybe not so much anymore. Which is and, very and the drug war too. The drug war is, uh, causes so much corruption in the whole police establishment from, from bottom to top. And while drugs were, have been illegal for, for years, the, the drug war and the militarization of the drug war, which uh, you know, started in Nixon, accelerated in Reagan and took off after 9-11, um, really has turned the cops into um, enemies of the people. Wow. So before we stop, I wanted to mention um, the, apparently the powers that be in South Florida, Miami, Day, Broward are very upset because apparently the horrible governor there is canceling all the fines and penalties for those who broke COVID laws. Another, another one from DeSantis. God bless him for doing that. Um, great. Just, just great. Love him. Yeah, he's, he's definitely doing a heck of a lot of things correctly. Um, that takes guts. You know, we talk Republicans are completely gutless pussies. Sorry, but it, this takes guts and good for him. Well, I meanwhile, think, you know, in New Hampshire, the live free or die state, they're begging their governor to loosen up certain restrictions and to do things like that. And he doesn't have um, that proclivity. I'll put it to you that way. The interesting, yeah, you know, a lot of people like Chris Sununu, a lot of us are stuck with the fact that his dad was uh, George Bush's chief of staff, the first. And what exactly does that mean? I'm not 100% sure. And he I don't gave like us David Souter. I'm sorry? He gave, gave us David Souter. I'm not into blaming people for uh, their parents, but especially as a parent. But I will say that. I also wanted to pick up on a, a follow up to a story that we talked about and debated a little bit a few weeks ago, the Texas Attorney General wiped out everybody's electric bills from those high electric bills. So some people got what they wanted. I'm still a little conflicted over that, but he did do it. Not 100% sure what gives him the power to do that. Well, I That's think it was just a bankruptcy court. Or regulatory power. I mean, you know, we don't like regulatory power, but I think that's probably what gave him the and the, the, and one, the story that I read, the electric company was in bankruptcy and there were a whole bunch of actions. And basically, uh, the attorney general made a deal that if they let if they let these people off, they would, uh, you know, he would he would ease up on the bankruptcy part. The bankruptcy is federal, isn't it? It is. And I, I stopped myself because I, I guess I didn't read the story carefully enough to to figure out exactly what he was giving up or what he was giving them. But um that's apparently what, what happened. It was some deal within the bankruptcy court to uh, allow, allow the, the consumers off the hook and the company got something in return. I'm not sure exactly what. Okay, any subjects that we haven't touched that we wanted to? 
Uh, just real, real quick, I thought uh, Biden's speech the other day addressed to the country was a snooze fest. <laughs> uh, you know, it's e it was easy to hate on Obama and maybe even Clinton to some degree. But with Biden, I feel like we have a total non-entity, an empty suit. Um, obviously, his marbles aren't all there. That empty suit's causing a lot of damage. Yeah, well, who's pulling the strings is, is the question. But, but I think it's important to get past that. And I think Ed pointed this out too uh, the night that um, I had talked about that address is the substance of what he was saying about us not being able to even barbecue with, you know, on the 4th of July with our families. Like it, it would even have to be contained to a small group was um, really pathetic. And at this point, I think we've all just obviously had enough but the threats of shutting things down and, and everything like that, it just goes to show that we're not going to get our freedoms and our liberties back until enough of us have had enough and take the masks off and throw them into a bonfire and, and set it ablaze. And uh, my comment is it's the first week of uh, the Derek Chauvin trial in Minneapolis and he, uh, the jury selection started and they've selected, I think last time I've heard five jurors and some seem to be okay. Some seem to be not okay. Um, they all fear, they're all fearing for their life and um, we all know why they're fearing for their life. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch as this, uh, as this goes on. Um, I believe two of them were dismissed already since the big payout. So now, will any of us be alive when that trial ends? Not well, if they vote the way the mob wants them to vote, they'll be all alive. I mean, well, these trials could take God knows how long. And if there's any justice in the world, they, the, the jurors won't even get to vote on it. The, tox, the uh, autopsy report should preclude the case from even getting to the jury, but you know that's going to take some courage on the part of the judge to just throw the throw the case out. Um, we'll see. So I have a question. I don't want to totally debate the issue, but in American law, if I walk in on a terminal patient who's expected to die in two hours, and I pull out their IV, is that murder? Yeah. Okay. So how is it not murder in the George Floyd case? Because he's been, he wasn't the cause of death. According to the autopsy report, there was no neck trauma. He died from the asphyxiation from the drug overdose. If he didn't- Would, if would he, he have died without a cop sitting on him for eight minutes and taking him to the hospital? Yes, yeah. he would have died if he was sitting on the ground, uh, sitting on the curb or whatever. If he, so if, the, if medics would have gotten to him, he would have died anyway? No. If medics gotten to him and gave him the Narcan, which is, or is it Narcan? Narcan. Yeah, which is the um, antidote for uh, opiate, opiate poisoning, then he would have lived. But to do that, they would have had to know that he had swallowed that bag of, of fentanyl. He, and it's not clear that they knew that. But yeah, they, it, he could have survived if that information was available and the, and the people got there in time, which they didn't. Okay, closing comments. 
Well, yeah, real, real quick, a uh, couple of tidbits. I thought it was interesting that Mitt Romney and Ted Cruz were on opposite sides of the boycott Olympics issue this week. I think uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney might have some fans uh, among among us today. <laughs> and uh, I think um, Lex Luthor would not be happy with Ed Powell's statement about criminals not being smart. Other than that, that's <laughs> most most criminals. <laughs> well, I don't know if we should have a, a larger debate about the Olympics. I know we brought it up last week. I, To me, you're honoring the country by letting them keep the Olympics. And Cruz saying, let's just go over there and beat them. That worked out great in 36. I, I don't understand it. And I'm embarrassed to be on Romney's side against Cruz. Totally agree. I, I saw that comment from Cruz and my thought was beta male. He's I don't know. Beta male. He's oh, unwilling beta. to... He's unwilling to fight. I, I'm on the don't um, don't prevent our athletes from competing, it, and that goes back to my knowledge of the original Olympic Games in Greece and how they had a truce among all the wars and got people together and then went all home. I do admit that there's a propaganda issue with the Chinese uh, hosting it, and I don't like that. But these people are are the Athletes are really dedicated people and they've spent their entire lives, some of them preparing for this moment and to just just throw it away because the IOC is corrupt. I'm, I'm sorry. The Olympics were in Athens though. They weren't in Sparta. They weren't in you know, some of the dictatorship states. They were in Athens. It's different. You know, you know the, the athletes were all from, from all over Greece. They came- Right, but- it, Right, but I mean, if we had, the, if the Olympics were going to be in Los Angeles, I wouldn't say we need to bar the Chinese from coming. I just think it's different to go to their country and let them profit from it and let them have a, a propaganda victory, as Steve said. Well, I think I think we should, if anything, move the Olympics into heck with the IOC because I feel terrible for the athletes. I've mentioned that they do spend their entire lives. Of course, they could lose because other genders may be able to um, compete unfairly. I won't go into that. But let's have an alternate Olympics and let's see who comes to ours. There's plenty of time as far as I know. That was tried in 1980. And it was a complete disaster. It's a complete fiasco. Isn't yeah, it? but I guess, you know, there's the cost of this and the cost of that. And I think the cost of feeding into China is going to be heavier than the cost of hurting the feelings of a couple hundred athletes, as horrible as that is. It's more like thousand athletes. It's, it's a lot. Ten thousand, whatever it is. I mean, one day we're going to be apologizing, hopefully, to Taiwan when they're taken over. I can't imagine it's not going to be the next couple of years. I'm going to say it's okay because we have Olympic medals. I don't, I don't get that. So I just have to lean in the other direction. Well, it's an individual. It's it's an in, these sports are individual sports. They're played by individuals, and I don't believe in sacrificing their achievement for a purely propaganda purpose rather than if there was some strategic or military or some other purpose. I would, I would agree. But if purely propaganda, I don't believe in sacrificing their achievements. Well, I will say with all due respect, Ed, I have withdrawn my acceptance of my invitation to compete in those games. <laughs> I'm, I'm standing on principle, folks. Well, my cats are competing in the, um, you know, sleep silliness category. And uh, they're practicing right now. I didn't, know, I didn't know they had beer pong as an event then at the Olympics. <laughs> okay, folks, 
we will oh. wrap it up with that. And, well, um, I didn't get to say my last point. Oh, then we will wrap it up with that. It's wrapping up with Ed's comments. There were two things that I that I wanted to mention. Um, one is is HR one that passed the House of Representatives, and uh, I think that's a really really ominous sign. And I think it's the Democrats are serious about trying to cement their their dictatorship. Uh, one of the provisions of that bill is that any challenges to the law have to go through the D.C. Circuit. Uh, how I could sue, you know, right now I'm in North Carolina. I used to be in New Jersey. You guys are in New Hampshire. I mean, if you wanted to, if you are one of the, you know, if the, if the legislatures, you know, suppose the New Hampshire legislature wants to file a lawsuit, you know, asserting its power, they have to go and, and travel down to, to D.C. to file that lawsuit. They can't file it in the District of New Hampshire. It's outrageous. It's ridiculous. Um, and the second, the second thing I wanted to, to raise is, is related. And I think you can already, I can already see that Manchin is, is teetering on, on the filibuster. Uh, I, I expect cinema is going to cave too, but one or both of them is going to cave. And, and I think this, this filibuster is going to go the, go the wayside and uh, they're going to pass HR one in the Senate. They're going to pass a whole bunch of bad things in the Senate. Uh, I expect it's going to be this year, but at a, at a bare minimum, it'll be during a, a lame duck session and, you know, before the next Congress gets sworn in. But uh, the, the signs are pretty obvious to me that the filibuster, that the Democrats are going to abrogate the filibuster and ram through every bad piece of legislation that they want. Ed, can I ask a stupid question then? Let's just say that happens and the Democrats are decimated in 2022. Is there, can the new Congress undo? Of course. Ed Powell, you're shaking your head, but why wouldn't you be, I mean, they could pass another, they could pass legislation to repeal the other statute. Um, I think that goes into something we heard on the Liberty Block about an hour ago. They tend to move the ball all the way to the yeah. goal line and we tend to get sacked. They or can, don't you go for one yard running it they, up the middle. That doesn't mean they would. Well, no, they I mean, bring, yes, they'll they're, bring John McCain back. They're awful, but the president won't sign it. So it doesn't matter. They could, they could pass whatever they want. They could pass a repeal of all of these absurd laws. And if right. the president well, doesn't- 2022 for sure. Right. And it depends on how big the bloodbath is. I mean, Jody, you said a bloodbath. I mean, if yeah. they get no proof majorities, they can they can govern themselves. That's what I was thinking, like really decimated. Like the American people said no. Even then, I hate to say it, I don't see Republicans repealing anything. That's so sad. Once what happened with Obamacare happened and everybody campaigned on it, Republicans don't roll things back. Well, you know what? It's uh, today is St. Patty's Day. It's March 17th. Uh, we've got April, May. We've got about a little more than 90 days before the Supreme Court issues its decision in the pending Obamacare case. And I would not be surprised if, if the Supreme Court actually strikes it down this time, because the one thing that the Republicans and Trump were able to do was repeal the tax, uh, repeal the penalty. And that was the stated uh, justification for upholding the law the first time. Yeah, I'm surprised the Democrats didn't reinstate it right away. What would that have done? Uh, potentially could have mooted the case. Potentially. Well, they've got to put the reinstatement of the penalty in something that can pass the Senate under the current rules. And they have done that with the COVID bill, I thought. Now, they did put the penalty back in the COVID bill, which they used reconciliation to pass. I don't know whether it's in the final bill. It was in the initial bill to put the penalty back, but 
I don't know whether it's in the final bill, and I apologize for not knowing that. Now, some people would say they're much more likely to let Obamacare die under a Democrat president when Trump's not around. And I think there is some logic to that as well. Well, unless we could infiltrate the Supreme Court's um, HVAC system and inject uh, testosterone mist into the um, into the Supreme Court, they are not going to repeal Obamacare. I don't care who says it. it is not going to happen. And this time, it's going to be not five to four. It's going to be seven to two or seven to two. Seven to two in favor of keeping Obamacare. That is my prediction. I will gladly buy you all a beer since it's St. Patty's Day, a green beer, if I am wrong. Seven okay, can I clarify for the record very emphatically? You are not talking about physically going to Washington to start an insurrection. Uh, no, I am not going to start an insurrection or actually infiltrate and inject these people with testosterone okay. as much as they need it. And can you swear that you do not now or ever own a hat that has horns on it? I have never owned a, a vest that's furry other than the natural one. And I've never owned a hat with horns or uh, I've never stolen a podium in my life. Okay. With that, Everybody have a great afternoon. We'll be up on SoundCloud and Rumble and iTunes, hopefully within about a half an hour. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. Thanks, everyone.